We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. And, Book, we've talked about this. You've had to change your game for the good of winning. You had to deal with the losing. You were putting up great numbers. But every now and then, I think you like to remind people of that guy of old that can go out there and get you 50 if he needed to. <laughs> sometimes, man. I try to take what the defense gives me. But I'm with you, Eddie. They be playing with my name sometimes. So, you know, sometimes you just got to come out here and, and show them. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. Sam, 48 points. 48 points by Devin Booker. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I uh, was debating whether or not to stay up for this one because it's a Sunday night. Yeah. I'm glad I did. And I'll say off the bat, you know, if you're a Cardinals fan, I'm sorry, Um, which I imagine (laughs) is most of you. But at least you have the Suns. I mean, now it's time for you guys to go tap in fully on this team right now because what they're doing is ridiculous. Devin Booker had the best game we've seen from him since the playoffs because he had some gems in the playoffs, but tonight he was on another level, and we saw him kind of warming up to it in these past two games. He was really good Mm -hmm. on uh, Mm -hmm. whatever day it was, Friday, uh, or no, it was yesterday, Saturday against Detroit as well, but uh, 18 for 33 tonight, 5 for 13 from deep, pretty good, 7 of 8 from the free throw line, 48 points, 6 assists, zero turnovers a stellar performance it's literally immediately after the final uh, buzzer right now so i'm curious mostly to see how this is covered tomorrow mm-hmm. because in my mind this team's 34 and 9 mm-hmm. i just tweeted they've got a three game lead a full three game lead over the golden state warriors they've got a six and a half game lead over any team in the eastern conference and this guy just scored 48 points this should be the national story. The national yep. story should not be anything having to do with a mascot. I know it's funny. I know we talked <laughs> about it last week, and I'm sorry to lead off with with, with this again. No, two I weeks think ago. it's relevant because I think the, I don't think it's a coincidence that Devin Booker had his probably his three best games immediately after the entirety of the internet turned on him briefly. Yeah. for something as ridiculous as being a psychopath on the court. By the way, I do think that that story. Devin Booker getting mad about something arbitrary in the middle of a game 
was sort of the first brush that a lot of fans have had with the fact that Devin Booker is kind of crazy once he's playing basketball on the basketball court. Like, we're totally used to it, Suns fans, but I don't think anybody else was. And he, he goes out, has 30, then 35, then 48. Who knows what the next game is going to be? Maybe he'll have Maybe he'll go 50 for 60. or 60. Yeah. yeah. It's just, I don't think it's a surprise. I think the way that he handles criticism consistently has been to go out and play better on the court. It's rare that it... Uh, affects him negatively in any way. So I think the fact that it came immediately after that, I don't think that it's irrelevant. I think it's, I uh, honestly, I do think it's part of the story at this point. Yeah, I'm, it, it is part of the story. It was the catalyst for this story, but I hope now that we're yeah. at the part of the story where this guy is dominating the league, going yeah. like a wrecking ball through all these teams, you know, I hope he gets the proper respect. And certainly there are a lot of other superstars around the league where, coming off a 48-point victory, you know how they would be covered and you know how that would be perceived. And I just, you know, we got to do our part to rally for this guy because he's been, he's been fucking awesome. Again, there's still time to vote yeah. uh, for the for the All-Star game, uh, the All-Star yeah. voting. I know the returns. I don't, I don't know if we've even mentioned the second round of returns on mm-hmm. on the pod yet. Um, I don't think so, no. But he's still Maybe behind. the live stream, yeah. As of, as of a few days ago when those came out, he was still behind Clay Thompson, which is just a, a national shame. Uh, to us all so you know mm-hmm. there's still time to vote um, I would encourage all of you guys to do it uh, whether it be through the traditional voting process on, uh, on the website then be his website or through social media like Twitter so yeah he's been awesome yeah I mean genuinely really great over the last few games and I think that the mid-range is coming back to him a little bit I think post hamstring injury we're going to talk about Devin Booker more later too we'll get into some stats but post hamstring injury Uh, That shot just wasn't falling like it was earlier in the season, particularly right before he was injured. He was on a heater uh, the few games right before he hurt his hamstring. And I think it's getting back to what it was before. And when he's got that three-point shot like it's been, you know, if it's there like it's been there for him, and you add that mid-range scoring, there really is not very many players that score 48 points like he did whose highlights look like his. They Like it's really only his. Usually guys that score that many points are, you know, they have nine threes or whatever. They just hit a bunch of threes in a game and you're watching highlights and it's like, okay, they're catching and shooting. They're shooting around screens and that's it. Yeah. You know, Booker, it's everywhere. Shots from everywhere on the court. Yeah, he has to be respected every single spot on the court. And uh, I I posted a video that went semi-viral. In fact, Booker, I'll flex real quick. Booker saw this video and liked it himself (laughs) um, of just the reel of all of his mid-range makes in that Saturday game against Detroit because it looked very much not of this era, the way that he was able to pick his spots, and there was nothing the defense, and of course that was the Detroit Pistons, but there was nothing the defense could do about it. Tonight there was nothing San Antonio could do about it, and increasingly you feel the confidence in this guy that combined with that improvement as a pull-up three-point shooter who's comfortable shooting it uh, from distance early in the shot clock, that maybe there's nothing any defense can do about it. So there are little things that you know, have, have regressed in Booker's game this year as well. And that's some of the stuff that I think we're going to get into later in this episode as we talk about. But overwhelmingly right now, he's he's just, he's at the top of his game. And yeah, again, deserves to be respected for it. How about this one from uh, our friend Cody Hunt on Twitter? Devin Booker tonight, 48 points, five rebounds, six assists, three steals, and zero turnovers. Her stat head, the only other player to put up those stats or better in a game, was Michael Jordan. Wow. 
I mean, there's a lot of things to limit the search there. Yeah, a lot of filters. Uh, but, but. <laughs> but still, it's pretty cool when you do a search like that, and the only player that comes up is MJ, the greatest player of all time. Uh, who? Let's see, what did he have in this game? Six assists, fourteen total rebounds <laughs> for uh, Michael Jordan. There, his screenshot, uh, fifty-four points. And so yeah, I mean, Michael Jordan is the goat for a reason. Uh, Devin Booker tried, took a few shots at the end of that game to try and get up to fifty. Missed a few and checked out early. Didn't try and push it. Uh, EJ mentioned it as a, a show of respect to Greg Popovich and the Spurs to not just stay in there and try and get 50. And I agree with that. And, you know, when you're going to win the game, you're going to win the game. Put the guys in. Let Jalen Smith get his first minutes of the game <laughs> at that point of the game. Uh, Cameron Johnson's back, something that we could also talk about here. Uh, Cameron Johnson came back. He rolled his ankle, missed a game, maybe two games, I think, and uh, came back in this game. A presence uh, little, that was... A little rusty, but we need him back. I would say it was a presence that was immediately felt, though. I mean, he was a plus 21 in the box score, and I know that doesn't explain everything. There were a lot of weird things about the box score tonight, but even if some of the numbers weren't there for Cam, I thought the team defense was there for him in a way that really mm -hmm. helped propel the Suns' run uh, once they came back in the fourth quarter. Because this was a game. I mean, the Suns won by 14. Yeah having outscored and we should kind of just talk about the entire team's contributions yeah. to this because Booker was yeah. amazing but the Suns outscored San Antonio 34 to 16 in that fourth quarter uh and there was some critical shot making from Chris Paul there but there was also terrific team defense on the part of basically everyone who's in the rotation yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah I agree with that I think there was uh elements of the first half where you know, Jay, or sorry, JaVale McGee and Bismarck Biombo were getting a little lost on pick and roll defense, and that allowed Jakob Pertl to get to the rim maybe a little too much. Not to mention, they did a good job of forcing our bigs to switch out on the outside, and then that gave them the opportunities on the offensive glass early in the game. But I thought later in the game, they were very prepared to try and find ways to avoid that switch, guard guys around screens, and just get into the passing lanes. And, you know, they were really good. And it does. It almost feels a little bit like Groundhog Day when the Suns play at least, I, you know, no disrespect to the Spurs, but bad teams. Uh, you know, they they play close, it seems like, in the first half often. You know, every once in a while the Suns will blow a team out. But it seems like often they'll play close in the first half. The third quarter they'll create a little separation. The fourth quarter they'll just go on a run and put the game over. Uh, for good and it's just incredible that it just happens over and over over again Devin Booker tends to prop up the offense for the whole game Chris Paul turns it on in the fourth quarter just like he did in this game gets to his spot spots you know sometimes he only needs to do it twice to put a game away but gets to his spot it. on offense also leaps into passing lanes on defense like yeah the way that Chris Paul engages his old man body in the fourth quarter in some of these games when the Suns need to stop he had two blocks tonight Mike, yeah. including one block, I don't remember. It must have been on Pirtle or whoever the, it was. Whoever the big man was in, this, it was like several minutes left in the fourth quarter. Like yeah. one of the most. I again, I don't have the capacity to clip stuff, so I'll throw it on Twitter tomorrow morning or something. But one of the most ridiculous blocks. <laughs> and yeah. remember, he closed out because the last Spurs game also went into the final minutes, and he closed out that one with a a, a clutch strip on Dejounte Murray as well. Mm -hmm. So and on a on a fast break. Yeah, he was he was awesome. And then, I mean, let's just talk about Bismarck Biombo. Yeah, real quick, because I know you yeah. said, I know you said he was getting lost on defense, and that look, that's fine. That you're right. Well, Jakob Pertl's really good. That's the other part. I I think you know for for people who don't watch a lot of the Spurs, 
you know, he was injured early on this season, but every game he's played outside of that, he's kind of a master in pick and rolls. He sets screens right, he understands his angles, and he's able to get little flip shots off from different angles around the rim. And Bismarck, for, for all he brings defensively, he was a little bit outmatched early in that game, but it wasn't from a lack of effort. <laughs> it was, the effort was no. always there, which is huge for the Suns team. If you're in that position where you're probably not going to play normally, right? The only thing the Suns need, as long as they have a few of their stars playing, is a max effort. And if you give a max effort, the, the Suns will uh, likely prevail in most games. But what do you think? I know you were really impressed by him in this game. Uh, yeah, I mean, I thought even even in the strategy that was early in the game of having him switch out, I don't think it was Bismarck's effort that killed the Suns. I actually thought he moved his feet pretty damn well, like a lot better than I expected in staying with Murray on those switches. And then, as you said, that would be when Jakob Pertl would, would collect the offensive rebounds. And But that's not Bismarck's fault. Um, mm-hmm. that's just a, It's just a matter of scheme and the Suns not having another big guy in those lineups to protect for the for the defensive rebound um but yeah i mean bismarck did his major damage obviously on the offensive glass he had eight offensive rebounds eight of the sun's 12 went to him uh he had more offensive rebounds than the entire spurs starting lineup combined i mean he he was ridiculous (laughs) he was ridiculous honestly and uh no he was great like 17 and 14 i mean it's crazy and and again, like I want to give all credit to Bismarck because he's playing his heart out. I also, and I I do this a little bit. I'm a little wary of doing this, but I you know I want to I well, I need to do it in the right way. I want to give credit to the Suns' culture, so to speak, but without turning it into a, some sort of meme slash caricature <laughs> of itself. Because you know well, what I yeah. mean. I do. I you do, don't want to be Heat fans, is what you're saying. I, yeah, I don't want to be Heat fans, and I don't want to be Raptors fans. I don't think we're right. either one of those. And I, you know, I think a lot of times when people talk about culture, frankly, it's bullshit. But I do think there's something about the Chris Paul Monty Williams combo specifically that is allowing players to come here and get a second or third or fourth chance in the NBA, uh, and just play their best basketball. And with Bismarck, I mean, how many times did he have? even double digits in a game uh, last year with uh, uh, Charlotte, I guess was his last season. Right. And then mm-hmm. comes in and he's ha- he's only played like five or six games with the Suns, yeah. And he's had a couple yeah. of high scoring performances today, 17 points in 25 minutes, shot eight for 10, uh, couldn't hit his free throws. And that will continue to be an issue with Bismarck. If, if he plays heavy minutes while Deandre Ayton yeah. is out. However, right. Uh, this is a guy who traditionally has just been panned as not being able to work out or live up to his draft status because his offensive skills have always been so raw. He, I mean, people have always said, Bismarck, he can't catch the basketball, frankly. And that <laughs> is what, I, I mean, he's a really big body. He can play nice and vertical on defense. And he can even, as we've seen, he can even move his feet maybe a little bit better than you would anticipate. But he's just always been an offensive negative because he couldn't catch the basketball. At least that's what people said. But now he's playing with one of the greatest point guards of all time. Exactly. He yeah. looks pretty good at it. I mean, yep. he, I, I haven't I, haven't really seen too many slip through his hands yet. So, you know, credit right, to him right. and credit to everyone else for making it happen. Yeah, you gotta put you gotta put a good point guard with a, a big that's just a screen and roll guy. You just gotta put a good point guard with him. Otherwise, if Bismarck is sealing, like there was one specific play where Bismarck was sealing and Chris Paul was trying to thread that low bounce pass that he gets to DeAndre Ayton. He's not a great like third option the way DeAndre Ayton has become as far as scoring on defenders, but 
if you can get it to him near the rim and he's open, he's going to finish it or at least relatively open. And the Suns do a really good job of creating opportunities at the rim, regardless of who it is. His hook shot form does look hilarious. It's really bad. It's Aaron Baines esque, I think, <laughs> is how we can compare it. But it's, Real char- quick, before it's we charming. Switch over, yeah. Before we switch over to the last uh, segment, I want to give a shout out to Cameron Payne, who had another good game. I think he's starting to figure it out a little bit, and I think that will be a big different difference maker for the Suns in the second half of the season. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about on uh, that last Spurs game or anything before that? No, I think we can move on from the game nuts and bolts wise. Yeah. DeAndre Ayton. Yep, we need him back uh, as quickly as possible. Um, and also, by the way, shout out to Devin Booker, who was named Player of the Week. I think early on uh, in his career, the entire episode would be about Devin Booker winning Player of the Week. We didn't even remember talking about it <laughs> until just now. That's true. Uh, but happy for him. All right, we're going to switch over to the segment we already recorded. We recorded a segment before the Spurs game uh, about some stats that we wanted to talk about about halfway through the season for the Suns. For those who are longtime listeners, they'll know this segment as the Suns by the numbers. We do this relatively often. It was recorded before the game, so we didn't know Cameron Johnson was in. So if we mention that he's out, sorry, you'll know that we recorded that part before the game. Uh, But yeah, we'll switch over to that right now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Sam, now that we've passed half of the season, halfway through the season, uh, let's break down some stats like we've done before. For those who've listened in the past, what we like to do is uh, Sam and I both separately pick some stats and then we throw them at each other back and forth here and then talk about the season uh, through the lens of those stats. So we've both gathered a few stats here. We're going to go back and forth. Sam, do you want to go first or you want me to go first? I'm down to go first. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so, uh, yeah, I mean, my stats are on a varying spectrum of 
do they mean anything at all to I think right. they do mean something, right? So, I mean, part of the exercise here is I just kind of throw them out there and you tell me if they mean anything. But okay. I want to highlight one guy to begin with uh, because it's positive, and that's Cameron Payne, who has played pretty well as of late. Uh, specifically, what I want to talk about is Cameron Payne uh, and his catch-and-shoot three-point percentage, which mm. was an integral part of what made him so good last season and has been steadily rising uh, just throw the numbers at you, Mike. In November, campaign shot, and remember these are catch and shoot threes, not pull ups. So anything of, I mean, just as it sounds like, catching the ball, shooting the ball, spot up opportunities essentially. In November, Cameron Payne shot 34.8% on these threes. In December, that rose to 36%, so mm. barely a rise at all of about 1%. So far in January, he is up to 52.2% on go. all catch and shoot threes. On over two attempts a game. For reference, last season, Cameron Payne shot 49% on the season on all catch-and-shoot threes, uh, which is really, really hard to do, especially for yeah. a guy who has not been considered a shooter throughout yeah. his career. The reason I split this up intentionally is because I wanted to point out his pull-up three is still not back in January. He has struggled with it. Uh, through the first two months of the season and continued to struggle with it in January. And that was also an integral part of what made him so good last year is being like a 36, 37% pull of three-point shooter. And he is just not that so far. But catch and shoot threes, basically it is much, much easier to watch campaign on the floor for 20 or 25 minutes and be able to stomach his offense because it just looks a lot better when he is hitting these catch and shoot threes and can play comfortably next to Chris Paul and next mm -hmm. to Devin Booker and he's definitely looked uh, uh, more like that old Cameron Payne in January. What do you think? Well, first of all, that stat on what he shot last year on catch-and-shoot threes is insane. That essentially makes him one of the best catch-and-shoot three-point shooters in the NBA last season. So, you know, to, to think that that was sustainable, I guess it's not a surprise that it's gone down this season. Uh, but I did sort of think, and I guess we've talked about it on the podcast, that the lower stats, the level to which it dropped would go up at some point this season. So I'm happy to hear that it's been going up recently. And I, I'd say that the eye test matches it. He's just been playing pretty well lately, whether it be that left-handed floater has been going in, he's getting to the rim properly. And then, of course, the shot dropping. Once the pull-up three comes back, hopefully before the playoffs, that would be a huge boon to his game because... In fast breaks, he likes to shoot it. Behind screens, he likes to shoot it. And, and teams will go under on screens because he likes to drive. So if he has that, it makes a, a big difference. You, you know, before the season, you and I talked. I don't even remember if it was on a podcast or if it was just off the podcast about who might be the the player on the Suns that would take the most heat this season that, that fans would sort of pile on when, when they were struggling. It seems like so far, it's been a combination of you know, we, we get a little bit of Alfred Payton. We get a little bit of Abdul Nader, but like Abdul Nader hasn't played in 25 games or whatever. Yeah. Alfred Payton plays a few minutes a game at most. So outside of those two guys, it seems like it's been Cameron Payne that's taken the yep. majority of the heat from Suns fans so far this season. You think you think that's true? Yeah. Of, of the guys who are in the main rotation, who it's easiest to scapegoat. I mean, no, I think Landry Shamit's right there too, though. Yeah, that's true. You know? That's a good point. Who was it last year? Sharich? Uh, maybe Sharsh in the second half of the season. That would make a lot of sense. I mean, last season, everybody was so good. 
I'm sure we're missing somebody obvious. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> every, everyone's pretty damn good. Eight and a little bit <laughs> and sometimes. Yeah, eight and a little bit. And, you know, so I do point out, like, even with campaigns efficiency down this season by all metrics i mean he's shooting 40 percent from the field 33 percent from deep just the basic stats say that that's not that good he's still stayed solidly above a replacement level according to like vorp and other advanced stats and whatever all throughout the year so he hasn't been playing bad and and especially compared to his six million dollar contract i don't think he's ever been playing yeah. bad. but like some of these games recently like in that um jesus who did they just play yesterday that uh, oh the Pistons game thank you we're recording just <laughs> we're recording literally right before the Spurs game uh so that's why don't know what he'll do tonight yet but in that Pistons game he 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 played great mm-hmm. um I mean I think he he was able to play 30 minutes in that one obviously he played more minutes sort of in the fourth quarter got to pad his stats a little bit but had 19 points five rebounds five assists good efficiency uh I mean yeah I I feel pretty good about Cam mm-hmm. I always felt that Cam was gonna get his game back we know what the holes are in his offensive game like we've known that the left-handed dominance to such a degree Mm -hmm. we've known that's been a thing with him and and you know so there are certain things to not be naive about when talking about campaign's game like everyone knows that at this point and that's going to affect how defenses um sort of collapse in on him and overall is going to affect his percentages compared to last year when he was just a complete unknown. We knew that. But other stuff like the shooting, I was always relatively confident that the shooting would stabilize to a point that Suns fans feel better about. Uh, and so it's good to see that the catch-and-shoot numbers are there. I think the pull-up numbers are going to come back. I really do. To mm-hmm. 36%, 37% on the season when he struggled to this point? Maybe not. Can he get to 33 34? Yeah, and I think that would be enough, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that would mean that he's shooting at a pretty significantly higher percentage just to get that percentage up. Uh, So that would make a huge, huge difference for him. I'm glad to see him playing well lately. I think it makes a huge difference. No surprise that the Suns have been rumored to be looking for another guard on the trade market. I think it's interesting to to be on the trade market looking for a guard because you do still have Cameron Payne. You have, you know, Landry Shamit as well. And if you do get another guard, either they're going to have to find time to play at a different position at three. Somebody like Eric Gordon could potentially play at the three uh, or they're going to take one of those guys minutes ultimately. So we'll see what happens as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline. Probably nothing. That's still my prediction. Uh, But do you have anything else on that one? I have plenty more to say about a guy like Eric Gordon, but it relates to one of my other stats. So I'm going to save it. I guess the, the little taste I'll give if it comes down to stealing Shamit's minutes or Payne's minutes right now, I give I give away Shamit's minutes to yeah. a, another guard in an instant, honestly, right. with the way and the yeah. two of them are playing. That's how I feel. Yeah, and, I, and that's fair. Also, just because of the fact that Cameron Payne plays point guard, to, to replace that is a little bit more difficult. You can find guys that do more things off the ball a little easier. All right, my stat, my first stat. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and DeAndre Ayton have only played... 23 of the available 43 games together. That's a great stat. Yeah. That's a that's a great stat. Out of 43 games, which, by the way, that 43 games includes the Spurs game. So if you're listening to this, you're listening to it after the Spurs game. I know DeAndre is not playing tonight, or at least I assume so. Therefore, that's 23 of the available 43 games. Chris Paul has played every single game. Devin Booker has missed seven. DeAndre Ayton, as of the Spurs game, will have missed 15 games total. So, for what their record is right now, which is extremely good, 
projected to win over 60 games. They barely have been healthy this season. And the way that their injuries have lined up with Devin Booker missing time while Aiton was playing and Aiton missing time while Devin Booker was playing, the three of them have not shared the court very much so far this season. The Suns have a plus 4.5 net rating with the intended starters, which is actually relatively low. And I think the amount of time they played together, you could make the case that that would be higher had they played more. Uh, and then a plus 5.6 two-man lineup of Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton playing together, the two guys that have missed the most time, which, by the way, I don't read anything into this, but I should mention it. That two-man net rating is the lowest of any player with Devin Booker, so Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. And I think that's because they have yet to play enough time to really get used to playing with each other so far this season. What's so, that rating? Did you say it? Plus 5.6. So still... 5.6 with those two? Yeah. yeah still good. Still really good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> still really good. But like guys like Frank Kaminsky and uh, JaVale McGee and mm-hmm. I think like Mikael Bridges, who's like a net rating king, those guys have really high net ratings because the limited amount of time they've played together and a lot of times Devin Booker is beating up on bench lineups with those guys when DeAndre Ayton is playing. So that boosts those lineups a lot. And and when Booker and Ayton play together, it's often to start games and to end games, which is against the best players on the other team. So yeah, I just wanted to bring up this stat because I thought it was impressive that they've done so much so far this season with guys out. And just to point out that it still could get better. They they can improve so far this season. It's really impressive what they've done so far. I mean, yeah, that's pretty amazing. I'm looking at last year's numbers now and just reminding myself of the fact that Chris Paul missed two games in the regular season. By the way, Chris Paul missed two games in the regular season last year and yeah. has missed zero, zero this year. Zero. After being considered the worst contract in the NBA, basically. Uh, before, I mean, I guess that was when the Thunder acquired him, was considered the worst contract in the NBA, but he was healthy there too. Pretty amazing. Um, but Chris Paul missed two games last year. DeAndre Ayton missed three. Devin Booker missed five in the regular season. Yeah. And with that level of continuity, the Suns had the second best record in the NBA. But we're on what? Like a, I don't know exactly, like a 57 58 yeah. win pace in a yeah. full season. This year, with less continuity, they're mm-hmm. on a 65 win pace or 64 yeah. win pace. That's pretty amazing. It is. It is. For, you know, actually, remarkable. part of it is a is a Chris Paul MVP stat almost. I mean, <laughs> if and you're it's, trying to make the case for anyone. We're talking about other guys like, oh, you know, Shamit has, like, when you look at the bench, and it's like, oh, Shamit hasn't played exactly like we wanted, campaign, oh, he's regressed. And, like, still, you're at a 65 win pace it's well yeah and i actually i actually think i actually think that's a good point because that's actually a case to say that these guys still have yet to really get a lot of time at their intended roles so many of these players roles have been shifted around throughout the season whether it be javel mcgee or uh landry shamit or any of these guys even cameron johnson who started some games when he was you know supposed to come off the bench even though they play well in that time you know, you want them to get used to the role that they're intended to play before the playoffs starts. So getting some more time with these guys healthy, I think would make a big difference. And DeAndre Ayton rolled his ankle. I don't think it's going to be anything uh, serious. We don't really know yet. We haven't heard anything yet. You scared me a bit when uh, you talked about the crutches. Yeah, I don't initially. think the crutches are any surprise. No, I, um, I'm not. I'm not super worried at this stage. Yeah, yeah. You know, certainly it th- didn't look like anything transpired on the floor that in, was super those alarming. Sort of inverted ankle turns where they roll in often take a little bit more time to heal than when you turn them out. Uh, So we'll see what it ends up being. It didn't look bad though. You're right. 
again, not to speculate too much because we just don't have an update at this point, but if it's something that holds Aiden out for two or three weeks, that doesn't even bother me that much at this stage. I mean, it bothers his all-star chances, that's for sure, <laughs> which are not looking great as of now, especially if he uh, misses time. But the, the Suns can withstand two or three weeks without DeAndre Ayton with their current center depth chart. You can thank Jalen Smith, Bismarck Biombo for that, and, of course, Javale mm-hmm. McGee. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's only if it were to be like a major, he's going to be out for a month or longer thing where I would start to be worried, and I really don't think it looked like that. I think this looks like a day-to-day issue yeah. basically yep that's right by the way for those who maybe are new to this podcast or don't fully know these sort of advanced stats net rating it's it is considered an advanced stat. but what net rating is when we talk about plus whatever uh it or minus for some teams it could be a minus net rating it is the amount of which a team outscores the opponent over the course of 100 possessions so it's sort of normalized over the course of 100 possessions Yep. Uh, so just for example, and actually this 100 is possessions is like roughly a game, an average game. Uh, yeah. but the reason, the reason it's per hundred possessions is because they're faster teams and there are slower teams. This normalizes it so that everyone's on an even playing field with pace, but 100 possessions is about the average NBA game. Yeah. So the best team in the NBA currently is the golden state warriors in net rating. They're plus eight, which is very, very high, but that's actually dropped down relatively recently. The Utah jazz were actually number two and still are number two, but they were much higher than the Suns as of recently. And that's dropped down too, whereas the Suns have climbed up. The Suns are now plus 7.7 in net rating. Sorry, Sam, if I'm stealing any of your future stats. No, here. you're good. My, okay, next, good. my next stat actually is a net rating stat, but it's about not this. So Okay, this is perfect. perfect. I think that there's a chance that the Suns actually leapfrog the Jazz and the Warriors and get up to number one in net rating. Net rating matters because net rating shows how well a team is playing, you know, relative to the rest of the league outside of the win-loss record because win-losses, that tells you something and it matters a lot. But oftentimes the net ratings correlate with the best teams in the playoffs more than the win-loss records do because injuries and things like that happen. Yeah. Uh, So the Suns could be number one very soon in that net rating. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Well, specifically, I think what net rating often tells you, or sorry, what win-loss records often tell you is they tell you who are the veteran teams that perform the best in clutch time that um, are able to steal away the most wins that they don't actually deserve. Right. Yeah. So and, and the Suns are a great team at doing that too. Any team at the top of the standings is gonna be good at that. Um they'll have four or five games a year where maybe they or, or more. I don't know. I'm just putting a random number to it honestly, but it's like you don't deserve this game. Um, but but you're able to steal it away in the last four or five minutes. Uh however, net rating is typically the stat, while there is something to be said for being a clutch performing team with veterans and all that, net rating is typically the stat that I pay attention to more. Uh, when I'm looking just at the standings. So like right now, for instance, um, there are a bunch of teams in the Western Conference that are actually below the Lakers and the Clippers in the standings, but have better net rating Mm -hmm. statistics or a better point differential on the season. And like typically if I'm looking at two teams and one team is 500 in their win-loss record, but they have uh, like a thoroughly negative net rating. And then another team is like, you know, on pace to be a 35-36 win team, but they have a positive net rating, I will typically believe that the latter team is the better team. Yeah, actually, that's a great example. The Lakers are 23rd in net rating at a minus 1.7, so they're getting outscored, but they have a 21-22 and 22 record, whereas a team like the Pacers, who we just saw recently, has a better net rating, but are 15-29 and 29 
so that shows that the Lakers are kind of stealing some games at the end of games more yeah. often than the Which Pacers are probably is collapsing. Great. I mean, like if you're LeBron and you can steal games, that's great. Yeah. But if you're consistently yeah. winning by three points and then turning around and getting blown out the next night by 15, how good are you really? You're not yeah. really a playoff threat in the way that maybe you think you are. So I did think you, that's uh, where net rating becomes helpful. Did you see LeBron promise Lakers fans to get better? Yeah, what do you think that means? I think that it's another tweet that's going to be thrown back at him at the end of the season when they <laughs> suffer. I mean, like, what what, what do you expect him to say, you know? Nothing. But, <laughs> it's it's the best option. He's got to fire up the anything. base. He's got to fire up the base, dude. I don't, right. I don't mind it. I, I don't hold this one? season against LeBron. No, all, it's not his so, fault. Yeah, it's not his fault. Uh, all right, my next one. So this one's a little bit lighter. And then the next one, the last one, is going to be more of a big topic, I think. But so f- for this one, it's a net rating stat. And I wanted to talk about Jalen Smith. And specifically, oh. do you have a Jalen Smith stat? No. Okay, cool. Uh, I, it's it's a This is about a statistics versus eye test thing. And I just kind of want to get your gauge on it. Because mm-hmm. Jalen Smith, now he might play more center again while DeAndre Ayton is out. But we've also seen more minutes of Jalen Smith at the four recently. And, well, first I'll just ask you, Jalen Smith at the four, your general eye test, What's what's been your perception? Before I throw any statistics out there whatsoever. It's been not as good as him at center, but not as bad as I anticipated it being. I think that's a pretty good I, summary. I think yeah. that it does not maximize him individually as a player, but it also, on the flip side of that, does not hurt the Suns as a team as much as I anticipated it would. So to get to the stat part, unfortunately, there's no way that I can completely isolate this on the NBA's website where I can just put in, like there's no filter to select that just says Suns net rating when Jalen Smith plays power forward. You have Mm -hmm. to do it based on who is the other player that he plays with. So I had to go through all the centers and and isolate and it was difficult. And basically he's only played a couple of minutes with Bismarck Piombo or with DeAndre Ayton on the floor. So I'm throwing those out entirely. They don't matter. But he's played 46 minutes now with JaVale McGee. So JaVale plays center and he plays power forward. 46 minutes is still not a ton of time, but it's more like over the course of eight or nine games where he plays a few minutes here, a few minutes there with JaVale on the floor. It's not a completely insignificant amount of time either. And in those 46 minutes, the Suns have a plus 9.1 net rating, a 113 offensive rating, and a 104 defensive rating. And I will also add, they are not significantly better net rating-wise when Jalen plays the five they're about equally as good the team statistics show in when he plays the five versus uh, when he plays the four so far so that's irrespective of what Jalen is doing on an individual level just goes to show that when Jalen Smith is playing the four so far this season and my eyes are certainly telling me something different too so you know I can touch on that but when he's playing the four this season the Suns are still a really good team yeah by net yeah. rating and plus nine is really good plus nine is better than their overall season net rating uh yeah. so it's not like he's been some disaster at that position and i wonder for again 46 minutes really small sample size but that's basically all we have to go on he hasn't played the four like that much this year uh i wonder if at all it changes the optics of how the sun's front office feels about him and what they're thinking in terms of trade market stuff with him as well. Did you see that the Monty Williams said that they saw him as somewhat of a Jeremy Grant type player? He said, yeah, I think he said that like that's what he used to think of him, right? Right. 
Oh, I didn't see it. I didn't. I didn't read the full quote. I just saw it, uh, on on Twitter. So hopefully, I thought I, I saw a saw quote. It. I thought I saw a <laughs> quote that said he used to think that he was a Jeremy Grant type player, and now he sees him as more of a center. So uh-huh. to that point, that that indicates the opposite of what I was just saying. That well, regardless of so, well, let me just say. I did not expect this, right? So, like, when I looked at the stat, I, I expected it to be about neutral. Because here's, some, here's something else that maybe tells you that maybe this whole 46-minute sample size thing is hogwash to begin with, is when Jalen plays with JaVale, because you can isolate to see his individual statistics based on this as well. Exactly. When Jalen plays with JaVale, over half of his shot attempts are threes. Because, of course, he's play- they're pl- trying to play four-out spacing, and he-, he has to take more threes. Of those shots, over half of which are threes, he's shooting 29% yeah. on those threes. Yeah. So for Jalen to survive, and we talked about this a million times, there's stuff to touch on, uh, on with the defensive end, too, but with the offensive end, for Jalen to survive as a four, he needs to be a stretch four. Like, it's great that he can rebound, and I think that's where the Suns are getting a lot of that advantage. It's, it's literally the only thing he's doing right now. Imagine, like, <laughs> yeah. you don't have to imagine. We know the rebounding between Jalen Smith and JaVale McGee, the rebounding potential, yeah. is insane. Like, yeah. so I think that's why those lineups are working. Yeah, but it's and like if, if you're if you're a plus nine when he's shooting twenty nine percent on his threes. Imagine if he was actually making his threes. That's right. what Jalen Smith needs to do to be a sustainable four. And can he do that nah, at this stage? I don't know. But it just makes me wonder if the Suns, because we talk about here's why it matters ultimately. Because here here's why a, a, a conversation about Jalen Smith on January seventeenth, where he's not supposed to be in the regular rotation necessarily anymore, when everyone is fully healthy. Here's why it matters. Because we're talking about all these guys, Kenrich Williams, Nicholas Batum, uh, I mean, like Eric Harrison, Gordon. Yeah, Eric Gordon. But I'm I'm thinking mostly of the forwards, like Harrison Barnes, yeah. um, Jeremy Grant, even you know uh, the the big guys. We're talking about all these guys, but knowing James Jones and how willing he has been traditionally, even though there's no incentive to keep Jalen Smith right now, right? Because you declined his option. But knowing how willing he has been in the past to just sit tight, I do wonder sometimes if uh, if he's just cool with the forward. Like, maybe he wants to go get another guard, but maybe he's cool with the forward rotation. Maybe he likes Cam Johnson and Jay Crowder as his two power forwards, and Jalen Smith is there as a break glass in case of emergency, option to play big and he's seen enough out of these lineups that he says yeah he can he can survive i would heavily disagree with that assessment if that was his assessment but i can see how you could look at that and say well look they're a plus nine when when the two share the floor they're obviously not getting killed why don't we just stick with what's working i could see it i i I I mean i'll just say two things on that i think that those stats are bolstered by uh wins against the pacers and the and the pistons you know, those are the main games recently that he played power forward in, and uh, the Suns were just kind of beaten up on those teams a little bit. For sure. Uh, so I think that makes a difference. And the other part is zero points, 12 rebounds in the Pacers game. So that shows that he can get boards, but he's incapable of doing much else. And then five turnovers in you the saw Pistons that ins- game. You saw that Instagram live, by the way, right? Yeah. Obviously. 12 of them things. Yeah. 12 of them. <laughs> is, that, is that what they said? Yeah, I think so. They, yeah, I just remember Book yelled at him. <laughs> I don't remember what he called him. He either called him Sticks or he called him Sticksy. I don't remember, but he said, Sticksy, how many, I believe. How many boards you get, Sticksy? And then you just you just hear him like really quietly from the back of the plane. <laughs> About 12. <laughs> just <laughs> mumbles it. But, but yeah, that was a funny game. 
12 rebounds, zero points. I mean, that shows it shows exactly what I think the eye test shows, which is that he's not being maximized as an individual player. The person that's hurting the most is him. Ultimately, it's not really hurting the team, but it does not show the value that he can bring when he's playing at his proper position. And then the other part is you talked about recently his inability to create for other people. Totally. There's an, there's an occasional assist, but there's also five turnovers like he had in the Pistons game against a bad team. And that's just because when you're at power forward, you're put in a position to do more things with the ball than you are when you're at center, which is just catch and finish usually. Uh, so, I, you know, I think that we're going to need to see a little bit more time at that position to see how it looks. But to me, the eye test isn't great, but I'm happy to see that it's not necessarily hurting the Suns like it was early on in his career. All right, next one. Yeah, go for it. All right, this is the Devin Booker. Actually, this is multiple Devin Booker stats. Uh, Devin Booker so far this season, 39%. Ah, this is my stat. Yep. On 3.2 pull-up threes per game. Never mind. This is not my stat. 39% on <laughs> three. I got two, so maybe it is. Okay. 39% on 3.2 pull-up threes per game last season, 30.8% on 2.8 attempts per, season, or per game. Uh, so that's an increase in efficiency, dramatic increase in efficiency and an increase in attempts, but a small increase in attempts. So I think there's a case to be made going from 2.8 to 3.2 when the efficiency has gone up 9%, it should probably go up a little bit more. But on the flip side of that, Devin Booker's restricted area field goal percentage is 56% on 2.2 attempts per game. Now you might think that that sounds pretty good. No, that's below league average. That's bad. Last year he was shooting 63% in the restricted area on a significant increase, 4.1 attempts per game, almost twice as many attempts in the restricted area last season than he's gotten this season. And if you look at the shot charts side by side so far, the efficiency is essentially flipped. The efficiency and sort of to an, to an extent, the attempts have sort of flipped. Last season, a large amount of attempts of his were at the rim and he was well above league average at the rim. He still shot a lot of threes, but those threes were below league average for him last season. This season, more threes, above league average from three, less attempts at the rim, below league average at the rim. So this is to say that Devin Booker has improved dramatically from behind the three-point arc, and he should probably be shooting more threes per game this season. And then on the other side of that, he's getting to the rim less and he's shooting less shots at the rim, which could be a strategic thing, right? These guys probably want to make sure they're healthy at the end of the season if they can find ways to get to the uh, playoffs and, and be in a good position in the playoffs without doing too much to risk any sort of health. Most of Devin Booker's hamstring injuries have been at the rim. Then that that could be why, but it could be something that you would... Let's say this. The, the three-point stat is a stat that's great. The other stat, at the very least is a stat to keep an eye on because in, in an ideal world, he's getting to the rim a little bit more than he has been so far this season. A little, what? a little bit. Oh yes. In an ideal world, he's getting yeah. there more. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, no, I agree. I mean, unfortunately they do kind of balance each other out in his play so far, right? Like he's, he's just gotten worse. <laughs> I mean, overall the... efficiency has gone down. Yes. To like true yeah. shooting percentage wise, because yep. for two reasons, less shots at the rim, less free throw attempts. Yep, and the free throw attempts I don't blame him for because that's everyone. 
but like literally everyone across the league with the rule changes with the exception of a couple of guys one of whom by the way i think might be chris paul (laughs) Um, chris paul kevin durant basically yeah but uh the other stuff is puzzling and so that yeah that was my stat too the second half of that it it wasn't the exact same stat but i looked at his drive statistics he is shooting 39.8 percent on all of his drives per game. So that can include not just the reason that's significantly lower than the restricted areas, because that includes driving in like basically one dribble pull-ups. It also includes like two dribble floaters and going all all the way to the rim. So he's shooting 39.8% on all drives per game of guys with at least five drives per game in the NBA this season, of which there are 126 of them. He ranks 112th in efficiency last year. For reference, of the 143 players with at least five drives per game, he ranked 17th. So basically a drop from the the upper 20th percentile to the lower 20th percentile for Booker, which I want to go out on a limb and say is probably really rare to see that kind of drop from a guy in one season, especially if he did not have... And and I don't want to make light of his injury because I definitely think the hamstring has played a part in this. But someone who did not suffer a right a, a, a more debilitating injury, right? Like yeah, it's not like Oladipo going from top twentieth percentile to bottom twentieth percentile in the stat in one year. I would have thought you tore an ACL. Yeah. Um, basically, not not that you you know nicked your hamstring, which definitely affects your play and definitely affects the rate at which you would want to drive and embrace contact, but it is puzzling. One thing I looked at, and I wish I had more time to research this before we recorded. Honestly, I think it might be might be a video idea for the future. We'll see to, to really analyze what's going on here because there's a lot of other stuff you could filter out. Uh, one area where he's really struggling are floaters. He shot 49% on all floaters last season. This year, he's at 32%. His... Um, frequency is about the same it's a little bit more common this year so floaters in general you know they're not a great shot like i I mean they are for some people but generally if you can just push through and get to the basket even if it's a riskier play it's going to be a lot more efficient than just floating one up there but if you're shooting 32 percent on floaters that's gonna that's gonna kill your efficiency and that is Mm -hmm. what he's doing this year uh so it's been tough for him for a variety of reasons some stuff i'd be interested in looking at that is maybe better analysis than just saying well he hurt his hurt his hamstring is uh, look at the left hand versus right hand finishes, see if we can find any difference there, if there's a, a, a handedness preference or if there's a wrist that's bothering him still or something like that. Uh, also look at the differences in defensive coverages is something we can do. But I don't think there's an easy answer to this. You know, I think it's kind yeah. of just one of the biggest mysteries for the Suns this season. Yeah, it's very weird and it's not at all typical for who he has been and just for him to sort of turn into a three point shooter, somebody who isolates, by the way, really great in isolation so far this season. Uh, but someone who can't really shoot shots, basically 10 feet to the basket <laughs> is very bizarre. Last season. I remember halfway through the season, he was finishing at the rim better than LeBron James. And, and, you know, maybe it's a fact that they're just not calling as many fouls. So he doesn't want to drive in there as much. It's not so like I looked, worthwhile for him. I actually, that's a great point. Cause I looked at that cause the drive statistics, part of the reason I chose those on the NBA's website, they track your personal foul percentage, the percent of the time that you're getting fouled. And he is getting fouled about 1% less often this year. That's not that much, but that's not, I don't think that's really enough to explain everything here. I mean, it's a little bit, but it's just such a small piece of the pie. So yeah, there has to yeah. be something else. I just, I don't know at this point what it is. And by the way, the reason I said I was going to bring up his name again, 
Eric Gordon. <laughs> of the 126 players with at least five drives per game this year that I mentioned earlier, Eric Gordon ranks third in field goal percentage, 58.7%. Yeah. Yeah, and and then he's shooting like forty three percent from three. Ah, I mean his offense this year. I think the more I think about it, the more I'm like, that's a no brainer. Especially if you can, if you can, you know. I think there's going to be a lot of teams that might be interested in giving up a first round pick, but the offensive potency of that guy and what he's doing this season compared to a guy like Landry Shamit, who's fine. He, you know, he's he's shooting thirty six percent from deep and not doing much else though. I think it's a no brainer, and and kind of the three guard lineups. Just thinking about the three guard lineups. Paul Booker, Gordon, what they could accomplish. You're giving up something on defense there, obviously, against certain matchups in the playoffs. It wouldn't work, but against others, it could be killer. It could be truly killer. Yeah. So the more I think about Eric Gordon, I'm just saying that right, you know, out there now. I've always kind of liked the idea of Eric Gordon, but the more I think about it, the more I'm like, yeah, no brainer. It really so. it makes a lot of sense. And you know, Eric Gordon, by the way, Eric Gordon is signed next year, but only if the Suns, like if the Suns traded for him and won a championship, it automatically guarantees his contract for next year. He he literally has a clause in his contract that if the team he plays on wins a championship, his last year is guaranteed. And otherwise, it's a team option. He's played with Chris Paul and he's played with Monty Williams. Yeah, right. Like, I I I don't know. I've never heard Chris Paul or Monty Williams in the past couple of years mention his name. I don't know what their relationship is with him, but. We know that they tend to go for guys that they trust. Yeah. I would assume that would be a name that they trust. So, yeah, so they, definitely definitely just a name to watch out for. Yeah. The question is what, what it would take, I think, at this point. Because he does make a lot of money. Uh, so the Suns would have to send significant salary over there. Darius and they can't Sharks, trade Shamit. Probably Jalen Smith. Yeah, you can't trade. Can't well, you trade can Shamit. trade Shamit, I, I believe. Can you now? I think you can, yeah. We'll have to look into that. Double, we'll check, that double check me on that because I thought you couldn't still. I want to... At some point, I'm going to make a promise now, I guess. Bring David, our friend David Nash on. Some of you know him as David Kevin. Uh, <laughs> onto our podcast to talk more about Devin Booker. David joined us for our internal development podcast before the season about Devin Booker. And I want to have a long extended com- conversation about Devin Booker where each of us have the opportunity to do a little more statistical and film research on him just to talk about his season so far and see if something that uh, something could come up on that podcast that maybe we weren't able to see so far this season. So uh, feel free to hold us to that, uh, people who are listening to this, uh, because I would like to do that. I think that would be really interesting. Um, okay, last one by me, and you just talked about your last one, right? The I just gave one? away my last one, yeah, okay. so this is okay. it. Perfect. This one's short, and I just wanted to provide some context. So... I was just thinking about Cameron Johnson this season, by the way, Cameron Johnson, as, as we mentioned in the intro, out right now uh, with a rolled ankle, probably coming back relatively soon. It was a pretty tough rolled ankle, planted it hard, rolled it, uh, maybe out for a few weeks at the most. Um, but I wanted to look at his shooting in the context of historical shooting for the Phoenix Suns in particular. So I looked at on the Suns in the history of the Suns, Anyone who shot over five attempts per game, which he's at 5.8 right now, and anyone who shot over 43% per game, he's basically almost at 44%, Cameron Johnson, 43.8% so far. So I was basically trying to figure out, is Cameron Johnson having the best three-point shooting season for any Phoenix Suns player ever? Oh, wow. There's some competition there. 
There really isn't. <laughs> There's only two other players if, yeah, okay. that show up on that list. And I would love for you to try to guess them. And I know it's not going to be easy. Sorry, repeat, you, repeat it repeat it for me. Here's again. the tough part. At least five three-point attempts per game. Yeah. And then at least 43% from three. So I, I want to say that he probably didn't do this because it was 2005. And I don't know if players were doing this yet in 2005. But I know Joe Johnson shot like 48% from deep one year. Yeah, no, he did not make it onto the he list. He did do that. Probably though. just number of attempts, I'm guessing. Yeah, it was yeah, probably I'm, just number of attempts. But okay, there is so an 0506 player on this. There's an 0506 player. 0506 and 0607, which you could have guessed that it would start in 05, right? Because it's just the amount of attempts. Uh, but those are the two other players, 0506, 0607. Yeah, so the 0506 player is Nash in his second MVP year? It is not because he just didn't wow. shoot enough threes. So who did? Raja Bell? Raja Bell. Okay, I could see that. 5.6 three-point attempts per game, 44.2% from three that season. I know we've talked about Raja Bell as being a good shooter, but that's arguably the best three-point shooting season by any player in Suns history, Raja Bell, that season. It is insane. Raja was dope. Raja was dope. Uh, Wait, so don't give me the year for the other one, or did you already? I'm bad at listening. Well, I did, yeah. Uh, Well, It's the next year. Oh, it was 06, 07? Yeah. See, because I was going to guess maybe Jared Dudley in like nope. 2010 or something. Um, uh, it's 06, not who 06. you would expect. It's not who you would expect. Five attempts a game, 06, 07. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who the fuck else was on that team? Leandro Barbosa. It was Barbosa? Really? It was Barbosa. Because I was going to say, think. if it's not Nash, it's not Bell, then who is it? But Barbosa, yeah. that's surprising. Barbosa, 5.5 attempts per game, 43% from was, three. That must have been the uh, year he won six man, right? It is the year he won six man of the year, and I think this is why he ended up shooting a lot of threes because he ended up playing a lot of minutes with Steve Nash, and that really relegated him to the corner. So he ended up shooting a lot of corner threes in that offense. Of course, on pick and rolls, if they crowded the paint, that corner was wide open. So I think he played a lot more minutes than normal, right? He's he's really the him and Cameron Johnson both coming off the bench. Roger Bell started, so the only two players here that came off the bench. But Leandro Barbosa ended up playing enough minutes with the starters and enough minutes overall to get over five attempts per game and shot 43% from three. So it's pretty amazing. Cause you have me, you, sorry to interrupt. You have me no, going go back through like son's history. Now in my head, I'm on Dan Marley's page mm-hmm. right now. Cause I was thinking he's like the original shooter, right? The right. original son shooter. And what did he shoot? Like two of. and a half threes per game. No, that's, <laughs> that's what's surprising about it. So during those early nineties sons teams, the, the good ones, uh, he shot over five attempts per game. He shot wow. over five attempts per game in 93, 94, and 95. And then by 96, he went to Cleveland. But he only shot 38%, which I say only. That's still great. Yeah, it's still very it's, good, especially back then, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that Cameron Johnson's been great. As we know, he's been great. We've talked a lot about him in the last few weeks. And, and he's not playing right now, and his... Lack of playing, that's felt. You can feel it in in the bench lineups and even in some of the fourth quarter lineups. But 5.8 three-point attempts per game at 43.8% from the three-point line is one of the best three-point shooting seasons by any Suns player ever. And if he can keep it up, then I think he will be up there as one of the best shooters the Suns have ever had. Uh, so, you know, it's hard to keep that up. For one, the attempts... The attempts went up when he started, right? Because he played more minutes. So yeah. it's, he's got to really fire them off to get them in his normal bench minutes. Uh, but that 43.8% is really high. Only Raja Bell has beat it at that number of attempts. I mean, Cam Johnson could break records if 
you sign him to that extension. That's going to be the tough part, though. Yeah. Like, he yeah. could get up there on the leaderboards. Also, man, now I'm looking at Steve Nash's page. He topped he, out at 4.7 three-point attempts per game yeah. for the Suns in 2008. In a season where, get this, he shot 47% <laughs> on threes. And a lot of those were off the dribble. If this guy just shot 10 threes per game, which no one would have ever seen coming, I mean, there was no such thing as a bad shot for him. If he just shot 10 threes per game, it's impossible for me to believe that anyone else could have been NBA champion. Yeah, that year, whatever year he decided to do it, oh six, oh seven, oh eight, doesn't matter. <laughs> Crazy. I agree. I agree. It's, late, a, it's a I shame. Mean, him, D'Antoni, and him, they weren't even. They weren't ready for it. They just, you know, like they they stumbled upon this idea of the three point revolution. But like, even they weren't ready. They could only revolutionize so far. But a man, imagine if they doubled down. It really is. It's like saying, I wish I would have invented the iPhone when I was 10 years old, though. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just so far advanced to, from what right. teams or were like, doing that nobody yeah. could have expected it. Like seeing the first like IBM computer in 1980 or something and <laughs> yeah. being like, yeah, and now invent a smartphone. Yeah, it's like just <laughs> yeah. a technological leap that yeah. is not possible without understanding the, hist- the history and the predecessors getting to where you need to be, right? Yeah. But even right. so. But yeah, there's no Steph Curry without Steve Nash for sure. Exactly, exactly. And no Cameron Johnson without Raja Bell and Leandro <laughs> Barbosa. <laughs> I think that's a good place to uh, leave this. Yeah, we'll be back uh, with a Patreon episode midweek. If you want to join our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash the timeline. And then next week, we will be calling live the oh. Utah Jazz game on Monday the 24th, the first time the Phoenix Suns are playing the Jazz this season. If you'd like to Watch that as well. Join our Patreon now and you could hang out with us as we do live analysis on a stream online through playback. Thank you guys so that much. That is going to be a fun one. Yeah, it definitely will, very definitely will be. We'll also, be back very, very soon. Vote Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Chris Paul, Mikael Bridges for the All-Star Game. There's still time. Have a good week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.